0: And as I get that, I want to review, Uh, let's look at the next two slides. This is kind of a a review from uh, last week. Uh, We've, you know, talking about uh, the the book of Nehemiah. And we went over the pattern of the history of Israel. uh, True or false, and this, again, just in review, but true or false, Israel was consistent in their obedience and following God Jehovah and being a faithful representation of God. Uh, To the secular and uh, wicked nations around them, true or false? False. Yeah, we've we looked at how, uh, unfortunately, they there was a pattern of rebellion, reproof, then rebellion, reproof, repentance, uh, and then rebel again. So all the way, you know, from Abraham following God in faith, going to the Promised Land, uh, and then being exiled to you know, to Egypt. um, And then so all throughout that, we saw their pattern and continues even up to the time of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was, uh, and Malachi were the last two books written before the silent years or 400 year time period until the coming of Christ. Uh, But it was the last historical book. Uh, So we read a lot about, uh, you know, Israel at that time. Uh, The temple had been rebuilt. How many kingdoms how many kingdoms after Solomon, eventually Israel was divided how? Two kingdoms, what were they called? Judah is one, so Judah would be uh, also another name for Judah was or is. Okay, we're in Georgia, which is the yeah. south. All right, so the Judah was the southern kingdom. And then in addition to that, what was the other kingdom? Northern Kingdom, good. That was a good, good next step. Northern Kingdom also was called Israel. Israel. So ten tribes. After some, at some point after Solomon, the uh, because of rebellion, the kingdoms were split up into two: Northern Kingdom and Southern Kingdom. Northern Kingdom being Israel, ten tribes. Southern Kingdom being Judah, uh, two tribes. And so Nehemiah it talks about the restoration of the wall and community. Uh, of the Israelites, after having been in exile, uh, the northern kingdom uh, did not have a a widespread return. Um, some call them the ten lost tribes, as we talked about last week they 're not lost. Uh, God did preserve a remnant and even in the New Testament, there are several individuals uh, referred to you know from even the northern tribe, and uh, so they weren 't or the northern kingdom so they weren 't lost. This next slide shows kind of the, the captivity of Israel and Judah. And uh, as we've gone through the setting of Nehemiah, trying to get the context and looking at the parameters as we go through this book, uh, but also of key people and key places. And uh, some several kingdoms, the Assyrian kingdom uh, rose to power and uh, the northern kingdom fell at the hands of the Assyrians. The Assyrian strategy was to take the people out of Israel Um, out of the area of Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom, and send them into other parts of of the Middle East, what we know as the Middle East today, and then send conquered people to repopulate Israel. So you may, if you were here last week, you remember that that's why in the time of Christ that the Samaritans were not looked favorably uh, upon. The Jews hated the Samaritans because of that time period where uh, uh, you know, secular people who had been conquered, conquered, were sent to repopulate Israel. Some of the remnant of the northern uh, kingdom of Israel intermarried and began to even serve some of the false gods um, of those other lands. And uh, then you had not only um, you know Israelites that were supposed to be following God Jehovah, uh, but they were beginning to intermarry, follow you know false gods. And so then, at the time of Christ. Those who were Jews looked down upon those from uh, Samaria or the region of Samaria, the Samaritans, and had a lot of tension. Then Babylon, Babylonian Empire, uh, conquered Assyria, and the southern kingdom fell at the hands of the Babylonians. But it wasn't until the Medo-Persian Empire uh, that authorization was given then to go back to Jerusalem, first to rebuild the temple. Zerubbabel helped to rebuild the temple and then uh, seventy years passed, or so, that uh, the, the 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 walls weren't completed, and so it wasn't a, it wasn't a complete project. The temple was done, but the walls weren't. And so then we come to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah gets special uh, permission and also provision uh, to go back and to begin to you know rebuild the walls, uh, complete what God was doing in the, the city of Jerusalem. And so this morning I want to look. Uh, we'll look at Romans, but it's, it's to set the stage and to be reminded of the purpose of Nehemiah. Is Nehemiah just, a, you know, just kind of a history lesson? Is that what it's all about? What does Nehemiah have, in fact, to do with Palm Sunday? How does it relate to Jesus Christ and Palm Sunday and Easter? Well, in fact, quite a bit, and we're going to see that uh, here at the end. Several years back, I, you know, growing up, I was not a Star Wars guy. I just, um, one, I, you know, we didn't have a TV in our home for a good number of years. And uh, I just didn't know a whole lot about Star Wars. But several years ago, our kids started to get in, involved in that and are interested in that. And so we started watching some of the Star Wars movies. Um, I can't remember. Sometimes we watch movies in Portuguese because they don't translate the cussing. So if there's cussing in some of the English movies... Understand we watch them in portuguese that's my little my little waiver there, but all that to say, if you don't watch them in order, sometimes things don't make sense, and if you jump in the middle of the series, it's like, well, why you know and that's what happened to me i didn 't watch all of them in order, so I'd have to you know pause and go okay, somebody explain. Who is this, or why is this important, or what strange creature or land, or, you know, who's, who's Darth Vader, star, you know, kingdom empire? You know, I'm asking these things to get the context, and that's what we're doing for Nehemiah as we go into the book trying to understand what is the setting, what's the background, what's the backdrop. Let's look at the, the purpose then of this book. It's much more than a history lesson. Romans 3, 21 through 26 As we look at Nehemiah, but then also look in the New Testament, and then even in 2022, our pattern of rebellion continues. So one of the purposes of the book of Nehemiah is a reminder of God's justice. A reminder of God's justice. So let's look at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. It's easy for us to look back and and think, you know, How foolish of Israel, how foolish of the southern kingdom, Judah, to rebel and to not follow God, Jehovah. But yet... When we have the completed scriptures, and when we have uh, the testimony and life of Jesus Christ, and uh, so much access to the gospel and spiritual things, and uh, and books that have been written by many Christian men and women, and conferences that we can go to, and uh, counseling, biblical counseling people that we can call and sit across the table, but even with all of those resources, often our pattern of rebellion continues, and especially those who don't know Christ. So Nehemiah serves as a reminder of God's justice. God is a God of love. And yes, we share that. That was one of the, the main reasons for yesterday's. We want people to know that One Hope Church doesn't just get up on Sundays and preach about, you know, wicked sinners going to hell, which there's a truth in Scripture. We don't back away from hell, but we preach about that and then we live in such a way to say, But we want to show you the love of Christ and the salvation that you can escape that. That doesn't have to be your destiny. Yet we understand that God is a just God and Nehemiah is a reminder of that. Look with me again then in Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So Paul teaches in this passage that apart from Jesus Christ, God the Son, every person who has ever lived, who is living, or who will ever live is a sinner that falls short, that doesn't match up to the glory, to the perfection of God Almighty. But yet we saw in the same passage the good news then that God the Son was sent by God the Father and was made righteousness, was made sin for us so that we would be made righteousness and right in Him. This is a message of hope in the same passage. Now Jesus Himself in John eight thirty one through 36 talks about the, the pattern even of enslavement and, and freedom that we can, uh, freedom we can have in Christ, but the enslavement of sin. In John 8, 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So although we may not be living in exile here in the United States of America, we don't we're not thinking about, okay, when can we go back to our homeland? When can we go back, you know, and rebuild some special building or rebuild our home? But as we allow ourselves, those who are apart from Christ, let's talk about you know, that group first, those who are not believers, those who haven't accepted the gift of salvation, are enslaved to sin. It is a, it is a pattern of humans to, to rebel against God. That is our natural choice, not to follow God. And to look for a way that I can justify my way and what I think is best for me. Kim overheard a conversation of some of our kids playing with some neighborhood kids, and one of the neighborhood kids mentioned and was talking about a a morality issue, an issue that the Bible clearly talks about. But this this young child said, well, as long as I'm happy, that's all that matters. And Kim had the opportunity to kind of interject in a loving way um, that, well, you know, God's God does have instruction, and it is important, uh, but then was also to help you know, our kids and this child understand that even when there are differences, even biblical differences, you still need to be kind to each other and not just you know, quit playing with each other or just run away. Uh, but it was, a, it was an interesting conversation that at that age, she was already just all in to the world's, as long as I'm happy, that's all that matters. Well, no, God is a just God. And he, again, he says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin." And then in John eight thirty six, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Our pattern of rebellion continues. If you're still in Romans, look with me in Romans chapter eight and verse six. Romans eight and verse six. This was a. Memory verse that was recommended to me to memorize many years ago. Uh, I, I don't like to think that it was that long ago, but it was, probably when I was 15 or so. And uh, it just it's been a, a huge blessing, but also a challenge to me, and it says this in Romans 8:6. "For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Death. And that's what, as we, you know, look at the captivity of of Israel and Judah and the devastation of being sent out from their homelands and have, you know, temple and homes and walls completely destroyed, not because, it wasn't just because, you know, they uh, were victimized by other countries invading. No, this was part of God's sovereign plan to show them as you rebel, as you choose not to follow God, Jehovah, there will be consequences And there were even prophecies that they would be sent into exile, and this is proof. We see that it happened, and and the Bible records that. So even in New Testament times and in our time in 2022 that we need to understand, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but then the second part, but to set the mind on the spirit is what? Life and peace. Our pattern of rebellion continues... But it's interesting that God's proclamation of reproof, redemption, and restoration also continues. Look with me in Mark chapter 10, 17 through 27. Mark 10, 17 through 27. Some of your Bibles might have this entitled, you know, the rich young man or the rich young ruler. This is an interesting story because as it starts out, you know, it's exciting to think, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe this rich young man, this rich young ruler is truly interested in following Christ. Because in verse 17, it says, and he was, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran ran up, and this is talking about Christ, and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, That's not a question that we hear often. You know, when I got gas yesterday at the Shell gas station and also when I went into Kroger and got some groceries and uh, then when I went into Lowe's and later into, into Home Depot, none of those places did I have someone stop me and say, hey, I think you're a pastor. What can I do to inherit eternal life? So this person, this young, rich young man asked that, but yet it's interesting to see what follows. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, don't miss this, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. We're going to see in the same passage both God's justice and his love. God is not only a God of love. He's not less than that, but he's not only a God of love. He's not a God of love that just says, okay, well, whatever you want to do and whatever you want to believe is fine. No, Jesus loved him, but notice what he says right after that. So Jesus looking at him, verse 21, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Verse 22, as we see the pattern of men that continues, the pattern of rebellion that continues not only in the time of Jesus, but right now in April of 2022, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This story could be retold time and time and time again uh, again, of men and women and college students and high school students who have been presented with the truth of the gospel who even come to the point of saying, yes, I I believe that Jesus is important, and yes, I believe there's an offer of salvation, but the sacrifice is too great. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's of of liberty, of, of choices that I'll have to make and things that I'll have to give up, but it is too great. And disheartened, as this man was as well, disheartened, he walks away from Christ. The pattern of rebellion of men and women continues to this day. So it's important that we see in the book of Nehemiah that God's justice is real. There's a reminder of God's justice. Not only the rich young ruler in the New Testament, but also the Samaritan woman at the well. She came to get water alone. Very possible that she came to get water alone because uh, she was not a virtuous woman. She certainly wouldn't be one that would be considered a Proverbs 31 woman, in fact, uh, through the conversation with Jesus Christ, it was revealed that uh, she had been with at least five men. And none of them, you know, Jesus said accurately, none of them are your husbands. She began to, to talk about, well, you know, we, we worship in this way and we worship in this location. And Jesus brings her back to, no, but, but I have water, I have eternal water that I can give you that you'll never thirst again. And I am the Messiah. Now, thankfully, the Samaritan woman, her pattern had been to rebel, to choose her own way. But in this instance, then we see restoration. We see the, the reconciliation of the Samaritan woman with God through Jesus Christ, the Son. Let's go then to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. There are many who are deceived by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. The pride of life, First John chapter 2 and verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John makes it very clear in this passage that there is a tension. There there are choices. It is our natural tendency to to rebel, to to seek our own way, to do what we think is going to bring us uh, joy and satisfaction. And these things can be categorized in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But there's an offer for repentance and restoration. Look with me in chapter 1, 1 John still, chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4. 1 John 1 and then 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Talking about Jesus Christ. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So whereas we see the lust of the flesh, uh, the, the, the lust of the uh, desire of the eyes, the pride of life, that brings death and destruction, even as Romans 8, 6 says. Here in 1 John 1, we see that through Christ, His desire is that our joy may be complete. So God's justice, yes, he, there's, there's, He's telling us and making it very clear, there's reproof, there's prophecy of reproof, there's principles of reproof, But yet we also see redemption and restoration. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So those who are deceived by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life... God's justice is real, but also His offer of redemption and restoration is also. Now, those of us who are believers, we don't risk, you know, eternal uh, uh, suffering in hell. Romans makes it very clear: there's no condemnation for those of us who accept uh, know Christ and are followers of Christ, because of not because we're so good, but because of the gift of salvation and of God's faithfulness but yet there's also God's justice. Hebrews 12:6 says for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. As I come sometimes as my wife and I are here in the school and if I see a kid, you know, acting up here at Northwest Classical Academy, I don't call the kid down unless it's my kid. Now, if it's Michael or Mary that I see and they're acting up when we're here at Northwest Classical Academy, I'll either say something then or make a note of it, and when they get home, then I'll discipline them and at least bring it to their attention and bring instruction. Why? Because I love them and I want to help them be restored in a relationship with God first and then horizontally with their teachers, with us as parents, brothers and sisters, because they're our children. And as we're out of line, as we begin to, to, to choose more and more into sin, no, we don't have the risk of going to hell, but yes, we have the risk of even destroying through the consequences of our sin the joy that God wants for us. And God says, I, I'm going to discipline you because I love you. 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if you're still in 1 John, look with me in 1 John 1, 8 and 9. The promise here of restoration. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. It was eye-opening, saddening, um, almost humorous, but not when, when thinking of eternal consequences of this. But I think I've mentioned to you, we had an older lady in her home at one point, and we were doing a Bible study, and she was not a believer, and she honestly, she said at the end, she says, I just don't see how I've ever sinned. I don't think I'm a sinner. I, I just don't see any way that, I'm, that I've ever sinned. And we tried to explain a little bit more, you know, what is sin? And it's anything that's not the, the perfection of God. But she had convinced herself that pretty much she was perfect, now, I don't think her husband was there at the Bible study, because I, he probably would have had a little bit different take on that. But she was, and, and she was a nice lady, but she wasn't perfect. And we see here in 1 John 1, 8, 9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now notice, for those of us who are children of God, those of us who are believers, this is a promise that we have. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Nehemiah is a reminder of God's justice, that the pattern of men and women continues to be rebellion against God, but also it's a reminder that God's reproof, redemption, and restoration still continues. Secondly, one of the purposes, and another purpose that we see of Nehemiah is a display of God's love. A display of God's love. We see it through his sovereign plan. He displayed his love through the sovereign plan in, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Then the king said to me, and this is Nehemiah, you know, relating this on a first-person basis, whether it was through a diary or if he or if he maybe wrote it himself, but uh, in the book of Nehemiah, but it says, the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. This was a secular king. He didn't really have a lot of reason to to care about and to expend uh, resources of his own and to give up his own cupbearer. He didn't have a lot of reasons to do all that, except for this was God's sovereign plan. And God orchestrated it so that even King Artaxerxes was, was led to not only allow it, but helped with provision, helped with protection. And so God worked through this king, but also worked through cup, the cupbearer Nehemiah to send him back along with others to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We see it through his sovereign plan. You know, even Nehemiah, it's, it's interesting, Nehemiah maybe, I don't know, we'll have to ask Nehemiah um, you know, when we get to heaven. Are there going to be interview times? I don't know how that's going to work. You know, I want to schedule an interview with Nehemiah tomorrow. Is there a tomorrow? I don't know how all that's going to work, but I think it's going to be interesting, some of the conversations we have in heaven. And I'd like to ask Nehemiah, Nehemiah, tell me, just let me into your brain a little bit and help me to know, did you ever want, did you ever wish that you had been alive when the temple was being, or or involved in the temple reconstruction? Did you ever, you know, at, during that time period, did you ever wonder, wow, I wished I could have been kind of Zerubbabel's helper or I wished I could have been the leader to, to rebuild the the temple instead of maybe the walls? But God had orchestrated Nehemiah's skill set, his leadership qualities and the timing so that Nehemiah was part of God's perfect plan to not rebuild the temple but to rebuild the walls. Now, what application does that have to us? As you look at other people, it, sometimes we can be tempted to think, well, I wish God would use me to do that. I wish I could serve in that capacity. Well, I wish that I had this talent. I wish it, was, it, was, it came natural to me to work with my hands so that I could serve you know, others in, in those ways. Or I wish it came natural to me to, to sing you know, in, in public, or to not be fearful to speak in public, or I wish I had a knack, you know, with children, and I could just kind of get along and, and, and was, was effective in children's ministry. But God made you and gave you your skill set and has orchestrated even a lot of the circumstances in your life for part of his perfect And Sovereign plan and as as he gives you guidance and as he closes some doors and opens others, follow him and never look back and never think, boy, I wish I could do that or I wish I could have done that and know that God is using you now. It was a blessing to hear Ashlyn's testimony of how she's gotten involved in society and, and she said, you know, I probably wouldn't have been here this weekend had I not done that back then. Well, when she first started getting involved, it wasn't a decision about coming to Metro Atlanta on a missions team, but one thing led to another, and her being here this weekend is just one other step in following Christ, and I don't know what God will continue to use her and do through her, but every one of us have the same story. Sometimes we want the big stuff, and we want the big things, and we want God to show us you know, His big will items. And oftentimes God is constantly saying through his word and through others, just follow me. Just take the next step. Take the next step. Do the next right thing and you will be following Christ. It's part of God's sovereign plan. So we see a display of God's love through his sovereign plan, but also through his gracious blessings. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 5. And I'd, I'd encourage you to go to Nehemiah as we're starting actually to finally get into the book Now, but Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Remember, this wasn't said after a time of great prosperity for the country of, you know, for the nation of Israel and Judah. This was said when some things had happened, the temple had already been rebuilt, but the walls were still in shambles. Nehemiah, at the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, was saddened at the state, you know, and the status of the walls, but yet he recalls God's gracious blessings. It says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah didn't allow the the momentary circumstances to to distort his view of God's faithful love and steadfast work. Now, I'll be honest, sometimes I'm tempted as as, as circumstances happen, I'm tempted to begin to doubt or begin to wonder, you know, God, what are you doing now? Well, when are you going to act? Or when are you going to do this? Or why did you, God, why did you do that? We begin to see God's display of love through his gracious blessings. Some of those blessings even came through the enemies of Israel. As the northern kingdom was defeated by Syria, as the southern kingdom then uh, sometime later, five uh, five 586 BC, rather before Christ, was defeated by the Babylonian kingdom. Even the enemies of God were used to draw his people closer to himself and humble them to a point then of repentance once again. Of an understanding as Ezra led them before Nehemiah and even even during the time of Nehemiah, we'll see Ezra mentioned in the book of Nehemiah, Ezra was used not just for wall restoration but for spiritual restoration. To help the Judah, the the people of Judah and the Jews go back to what does God's word say? How should we, yes, we have the temple, but how are we supposed to live with the temple? What does that mean? We see God's faithful and steadfast love and uses enemies to increase Israel's awareness and humble them and increase their dependency on Him. But notice in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8. God also used the favor of kings to bless Israel. So God used secular kings to to punish Israel, and that's part of His sovereign plan. But He also used the favor of kings. Notice with me in, in Nehemiah chapter two and verse eight. In the second part of Nehemiah two eight, so Nehemiah two eight, and I just kind of put it as B, part B. And the king granted me what I asked. Notice this for the good hand. Of my God was upon me. For the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah reflects the praise to God. Nehemiah doesn't say, Well, you know, I'm a pretty good negotiator. It's because of that special position I have, and you know, I just got away with the king and I worked it all out. Don't worry, I'm your man. No, he says, no, because this happened because the good favor of God was upon me. We continue on in verse 18 then, jump to verse 18 of Nehemiah chapter 2. It says, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. And as God gives us opportunities, may we be, uh, like Nehemiah, may we be reminded to, to show and to talk about and, and tell other people, this was because of God's good hand. This wasn't because of my skill. This wasn't because I'm just a great leader or I'm a special person. But this was because of the grace and the power of God and because of his gracious blessings. So a display of God's love, that's one of the purposes of Nehemiah. But we also see this display of God's love not only through His sovereignty, not only through the gracious blessings, but we see it through His powerful work. Look with me in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. Nehemiah 6, verses 15 and 16. What had been impossible for many years is completed in less than two months. Verse 15 of Nehemiah 6, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of who? Oh, may God see that in our lives. Whether it be you know uh, assignments at college, whether it be your work, whether it be even health obstacles that you face, may other people see that as we react to that and as we continue to live, even in the midst of trials, may other people be able to say of us, boy, God has helped them through that. It is because of God's power that that has happened. See, through His powerful work that God used Nehemiah to unify the people of Israel, the people of Judah. Even in the midst of internal opposition, we're going to see as we go get into the book of Nehemiah a little bit that there were uh, rich Jews that were preying on uh, poor Jews. So the internal opposition. But then great external opposition, and God used Nehemiah in a powerful way to show people his power, powerful work. Display of God's love through His sovereignty, His gracious blessings, His powerful work, but also through His relational design. Look with me in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verses 8 and 9. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Uh, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. This wasn't only a building project. The temple was was much more than just a building to, to meet in. In the Old Testament time, uh, much of God's God's glory and presence was reflected in the, the workings through the temple. Unlike the New Testament, when we are, each of us individually, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so it was an uncompleted project. The temple had been rebuilt, but yet it was vulnerable. The city had not been protected of Jerusalem. And so it was part of God's relational design for you know, to send these men back and for Nehemiah to lead them to complete the walls, and then for Israel once again to be a powerful representation to those outside and those that were not followers of God Jehovah in an, an attractional way. This is God Jehovah. As a nation, they were supposed to represent that as a chosen people. We see this is Old Testament fulfillment, but what about us? Look with me in John chapter 1 and verse 14. John chapter 1 and verse 14. Christ dwelled among us. As we think about Palm Sunday, we'll explore that in more detail in the growth group's time. But Christ dwelled among us, John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Matthew 123 behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means god with us so god the son sent god or god the father sent god the son to dwell among us but not only that we see in John 14 Christ provided a way for us to dwell with him John 14 and verse 1 Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Reminded of one of our transitions in Brazil and uh, we were back on furlough, but we had one of the church plants was uh, had been transitioned to a national pastor and it was time to, to start a new work, but we didn't know exactly where. And so I went back to, during that furlough time, I went back on several occasions to Brazil. And I traveled and I prayed and visited with missionaries and visited cities and just did some scouting. And where will God have the next church plant be? And God as God closed doors and opened doors, He directed to an an area of suburb cities outside of Sao Paulo. And then God provided a home for us to rent, at least for the first year. And so a little bit before our whole family moved, I went... And I, and I told Kim and the kids, okay, I'm going to go to Brazil, and I'm going to kind of set up the move. I'm going to get the stuff out of our house in Sao Paulo, and we're going to start, you know, moving it, and I'm going to set up the move. So that then when the whole family came in, it was pretty much already done. Isn't it exciting that much more than a little house in the city of Junjai, Brazil, that Christ has said, don't worry, I'm going and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And what a place that's going to be. Christ dwelled among us, but then he did that so that we could dwell with him. It's a relational design. It's not just a religion, but it's a relationship of of God with us, and us with God, and even more so now, God in us. You know, Christ is still, just like he did in Nehemiah, Christ is still gathering people unto him. John 10 and verse 16. John 10 and verse 16. I'd encourage you to look at that passage. We'll look at a few verses in John 10, then also in, verse, in John 11, chapter 11. John 10, 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, Christ says. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. You know What? All of us this morning who know Jesus Christ as their, as their Savior, we are part of that term, other sheep. Isn't that cool? That even at that point in John 10, 10 16, Christ says, there are others that I'm going to be gathering into my fold. And we're part of that. Because of God's grace, because of God's design to to dwell with us and for us to dwell with him, God called us and God has used and enabled us to accept him and we're believers and we're followers of Christ and have other sheep, That's part of it is us. And there's so many others. Now, John 11, 51 and 52. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also, notice this, to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. I was asking one of the guys that uh, was at an activity last night, and he's, he's uh, finishing up uh, this semester at uh, the Marietta campus, and then he's going to take a flight to India. And we were talking about, well, how long of a flight is that going to be? He said, well, just flying time, at 17 hours. I said, what about with your layovers? He said, oh, at least be 24. So I'll spend at least 24 hours in transit. He was talking about going to, to Frankfurt and then, to, no, I think it was like Boston and then Frankfurt and then Delhi, and I mean, it's, it's several stops along the way. It's going it's to take him a while. But there are people in India that God is using both nationals as well as missionaries, to gather into His one body of Christ. There are people in Southeast Asia where the Sprites are right now serving and talking and and sowing the seeds of the gospel. There are people among the millions of the country that they serve in who God is calling and drawing and will respond in time to salvation. That's what John 11 is talking about, not for this nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So like in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel, Judah, had been called back, Nehemiah was leading them, Zerubbabel helped build the temple, Ezra is helping with spiritual restoration, then Nehemiah uses, is used to, to the, the wall restoration and is gathering the people back in their city. And the relational design that God has for the Old Testament fulfillment, but still now Christ is gathering and uses us to be messengers of reconciliation. To use us to those who are scattered abroad in Marietta, in Kennesaw, and in Ackworth, and Canton, and all throughout metro Atlanta, and then in Greenville, and some of the girls are from Michigan and up north and other places. All these different places, we, we're, we're not there just by chance. God in his sovereignty has put us in different places. And even some of the families that we served yesterday were as a result of connections that God has allowed Dan and Barb and Mike and April to make in their neighborhoods and even through their work so that yesterday we not only could help maybe rake some leaves or mow some grass, but also talk about the hope of Jesus Christ who wants to gather even some of them into his one body of Christ. That's what it's all. It's not just Nehemiah. It's not just a story of history, but it's a pattern of God's. Yes, God's just, but his love is so evident as he continues to gather and uses us to proclaim that and say, hey, God wants you to be a part of this, and God wants you to be a part of this, and God has a plan for you. Don't miss it. This pattern of reconciliation. Now, let's finish in Revelation chapter 21. We see this even so clear in Christ's. In the New Jerusalem, Revelation chapter 21, and starting verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God, notice, is with man. He will dwell with them, they will be be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. God just isn't a distant God, God just isn't someone who's who's kind of orchestrating the big events, God cares deeply about every one of us, and it's meant to be this, this very intimate and special relationship. He will wipe away every tear, verse 4 says, from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Notice in verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride. The wife of the lamb. Just rich terminology that helps us already envision. I mean, we're familiar with weddings and we're familiar with, with things like that. Um, you know, Logan and Rachel are preparing for that. And now, if I think all of you know, but now Calvin and Sarah are actively, you know, planning for that. And so there's a lot of images and thoughts involved in that. But we see this is this is referring to us. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife. Of the Lamb. He carried me away into the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So think back. Nehemiah, Zerubbabel had helped be, rebuild the temple. Then the, the walls were still in shambles for many years. Nehemiah comes and helps to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem as an Old Testament fulfillment of God wants to be with his people and for this to be a relational uh, design as, as very clear in the, in the Old Testament, and then all the way to the end of the New Testament and the New Jerusalem, where it says very clearly, God the, the dwelling place of God is with man. We see here that you'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Then notice verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, we see God's justice. It's not just whoever wants to come, you know, without, just with your sin and whatever, you know, whatever you want to do. It, It is whoever will come in the name of Christ. Yes, you're welcome, and God will dwell with us. And the last purpose that we see in the book of Nehemiah is a model of faithful obedience. We see a reminder of God's justice. We see a display of God's love in many different ways. And then lastly, we see a model of faithful obedience. Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse 5 has this phrase, Then God put it into my heart. Then God put it into my heart. Some of you maybe have gotten involved in in uh, March Madness, and you watched some of those those games. As Mary put it, she asked the other day, you know, Dad, are we going to watch the April April Crazy or April? <laughs> she was trying to remember the term. And some of you maybe watched some of those games, and maybe you were, like I mentioned a couple Sundays ago, uh, the, the soccer coach that I'm helping now, his wife, is a proxy coach. Maybe you were trying to be a proxy coach, and you were saying, you know, you do this, and, you know, uh, you need to... Dude, put this player in or whatever. Nehemiah, when God called upon him to act, he was ready to obey and ready to follow. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, we won't read those verses, but as we get into Nehemiah 1 later, we'll see it. Uh, eight times, Nehemiah used the terms your servant or your servants. Eight times in six verses. May God help us as a family of One Hope Church to, to individually say, Yes, God, I am your servant. What you call upon me to do, I'm ready to act and ready to obey. I pray that throughout the rest of 2022, it's hard to believe it's April 10th already, but that as we move forward by faith, as we learn through, from some of these principles and purposes of the book of Nehemiah, may, may we individually and then as families... As a society, as a church family, may we move forward by faith, ready to follow Christ as our shepherd, ready to grow as disciples and disciple makers, and then ready to even more show Christ locally and globally for God's glory. And there's going to be some steps of faith in that. As we think even about the Easter offering, giving sacrificially to help advance the gospel in those ways. Even more so after that offering, I believe God's giving us an opportunity. I'll share more about this later, but I think God is, is paving the way for us soon to begin to support monthly some missionaries. Wow, goodness, it's a new church, and we don't even have all the expenses covered here. Well, that's what faith's all about. But I believe God is giving us opportunities to, to even go more and do more things for His glory. May we move forward by faith together. Would you pray? With me, bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor David, boy, as we begin to think and set the stage for the book of Nehemiah.